Dude, we are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and Notch is a great idea. Hello and welcome to Debated Podcast, a podcast where I'm joined by my friend Will and we discuss the all the goings on in politics. Usually we focus on British politics, but this week we're taking a trip overseas and we're speaking to Dan Taxationist Theft Berman, who is a candidate for the Libertarian nomination for president in 2020. So um, thanks for joining us, Dan. Um, before we get into the podcast, um, what inspired you to run for president in the first place hey so thanks for having me on um yeah that's this is the first question i get all the time and i guess it's um probably because i'm not some billionaire who's you know destined for the the white house um but honestly i look at the way politics are heading in this country and we're we're having all the wrong conversations where we have politicians talking about you know, we should spend we should spend the taxpayers money this way or that way instead of asking, should we be spending any of the taxpayers money? Um, no one's really bringing out these questions. So I kind of wanted to take a completely different angle and a completely different approach to uh, what the government should be doing and kind of bring that into the conversation and and, uh, you know, see if we could change the direction that things are going. Uh, now, one of the uh, interesting things about your platform, and as we can see on your uh, wonderful hat, <laughs> is you argue that uh, taxation is theft. Now, a lot of people in Britain and in Europe will be perhaps a bit sceptical of that argument. Why do you think taxation is theft? Sure. So uh, it's it's interesting. Um a lot of people hear this and they jump immediately to, well, why don't you just get rid of the whole government or, you know, that's never going to work. Um, and it's it's interesting that taxation is um, it is literally theft. It's if you don't pay it, they're going to either take it or they're going to hurt you to take it. Um, it you know, it's, it's really a, your money or your life situation. Um, the the reality is that there are voluntary ways for government to raise money. So, for example, we have court systems. We have we have billionaires suing billionaires. Um, when the loser has to pay the billionaire, let them pay the court fees. We have post offices that are government government run operations, and and in the U.S. for the most part, it's not. Um, uh, it, it, it runs on its own. They sell stamps, right? They raise money to do what they're doing. Mm. Um, they have lotteries. Uh, that raise money. There, there are so many voluntary ways that you can raise money. You don't have to go around stealing. But of course, if it becomes socially acceptable to run around stealing from everybody, why go through all the trouble of, of figuring out other ways to raise the money when you can just say, oh, well, everybody pays. And if they don't, they go to jail. Um, so obviously taxation is theft is quite a sort of a classical libertarian view. Um, it seems more sort of almost radical than what Gary Johnson went on in 2016. Why do you think that Gary Johnson didn't sort of make the headway that some predicted? Because obviously, like 2016, you had two very unpopular candidates for Democrats and Republicans. It almost seemed like the perfect time to, for like a third party to get some traction, but he didn't quite make it in the way that some expected. Why do you think that was? Right. So he was, uh, and I was at the 2016 convention when he was uh, selected for the nomination. He was the safe bet. Um, I, I actually went around the convention and asked everybody, what is taxation? About half responded theft and the other half gave some. They, they usually started with, well, 
Um, and and um, uh, those were usually the Gary Johnson supporters. So it's it's really interesting to see how the party itself is divided. Um, but Gary Johnson was the safe bet and he, you know, he wasn't too radical, which a lot, a lot of people say I'm very radical because of, of my beliefs and positions. Um, but a lot of people are scared to put forth that radical message because they think, um, you know, as a lot of people respond to, to my message that taxation is theft, they think it's going to offend people and it's going to push people away from the message. But the reality is that that we have to come out with this message. We can't water it down. We need to we need to be able to um, to push it forward and explain it to people so that they can understand that, hey, this is the message. We can get rid of taxation. We just have to start looking for ways for our society to function without these coercive methods that the government is using. Um, now, obviously, uh, one of the interesting things about your campaign is that you're standing for uh, a third party for the uh, for the libertarian nomination for president. How realistic do you think it is that you could beat either the incumbent president or the Democratic nominee? Right. So that's an interesting question. In for the past, um, I want to say, 30 or 40 years, uh, every single president has been two terms and every single president has been uh, a flip flop of the, the previous uh, of the two parties. So it's I would say there's a 99 percent chance that Trump is going to get reelected. However, this campaign is it's very important for two reasons. One, it lays a groundwork for if we don't win, we'll continue in 2024. Um, also, it changes it changes the political conversation and it's injecting this message um, so that. You know, the, the Libertarian Party has been fighting for legalization of drugs since the 70s. And it wasn't until maybe 10 or 20 years ago that the Democrats came along and said, hey, you know what? The people are actually starting to want this. We should pander to them now, you know, not to give not to give pandering credit. Um, but as the as the um, as the mentality of the population changes to want certain things because they start hearing certain ideas, it influences what the other two big parties have to do in order to get those votes. So at the very least, this is going to influence people um, to to put more pressure on a Trump administration from from 2020 to 2024 um, on what they need to do in order to to continue to have the support of the people. At the same time, we're the the Libertarian Party usually pulls Republicans attention because of the the small government and low taxes. Um, And they don't really connect that well with Democrats. But knowing that Trump um, is is, you know, that I would say that's 100 percent chance that he's going to at least outperform any of the Democrats that are selected this year um, because of that uh, that two term um, uh, trend that we always have. I would say that now is a perfect opportunity to actually reach out and resonate with a lot of these Democrats. And um, and what that means is, you know, a, a lot of Democrats hear taxation is theft and they think, oh, you want to take away all the government programs and you want people to starve and die in the streets. And that's absolutely not true at all. So now is a perfect opportunity to say, hey, Democrats, you're you might be wasting your vote on whoever your Democratic pick is, especially if you're not 100 percent behind them. Maybe you should start listening to some of these ideas and see how the libertarian philosophy can actually be good for you and your beliefs. And so that way we can actually use uh, use this 2020 election cycle as a really great way to introduce libertarianism or classic liberalism uh, to the left. 
You mentioned um, Democrats sort of coming on board with sort of legalizing drugs, especially marijuana, as we've seen in America in recent lot of states sort of coming on to that. Um, but often when Democrats make the argument, they will couch it in terms of it, you can tax marijuana and therefore it makes money for the government. Um, obviously, that's not going to be your position. So what's, so what's your, your libertarian take on the, the sort of legalization of drugs? Well, so it's interesting. There's a lot of conversations about negative taxes now where people where, where they want to uh, they want people to receive money from the government. Um, and you have positive taxes and negative taxes, and they all just really cancel each other out. So whether you raise taxes or stop spending um, is really the same. Uh, they're, they're really opposite. So instead of instead of uh, raising taxes to increase revenue, you stop spending. And if you look at the drug war we've spent in the U.S., we've spent over a trillion dollars over the past, I think, 30 years, um, which is a huge amount of money. And we have the largest prison population in the world, even though we only have 5% of the world's population, uh, we, we have 25% of the world's prisoners. And a lot of these are nonviolent drug offenders. So really, you know, we talk about, yeah, we can raise all this money, but it's like, hey, yeah, we could go out and rob a bunch of new people. That's, that's not really a great reason to do something, um, that's, that's a moral, um, uh, that, that's really morally uh, proper. Um, so first of all, we can look at if we if we legalize all these drugs, what's going to happen is we're going to stop spending money um, imprisoning people for for nonviolent crimes. They're not hurting anybody else. Uh, the other way to look at it is is, you know, you don't want to pay people for not murdering somebody. Right. Murder is wrong. You don't want to create a financial incentive to stop doing something that's moral. So, for example, the government is throwing people in prison for something that they're not harming anybody. Right. That is an immoral act because they're not harming anybody. They shouldn't be going to jail. Now, if we legalize it just to pay a tax to government, what we're literally doing is we're saying, hey, government, if you stop throwing people in jail, if you stop doing this immoral act, we will give you money. And so then it becomes, you know, it's you're negotiating with terrorists. You are you are paying the ransom um, in order to stop stop people from being kidnapped for, for these non crimes. And so I think putting a tax on this and using that tax as an excuse to legalize any drugs is, is a really um, a really flawed argument. Um, now, uh, regarding drugs, you're running your campaign uh, from Texas and Texas has seen. Uh, a lot of problems uh, regarding drugs with um, cartel wars spilling over from Mexico. What experience uh, have have you personally had of the effect that um, drugs can have on people's lives? Right. So I'm I'm actually um, I'm a I'm a Texan, but if you can see behind me, I'm actually in the jungle of uh, of Cancun right now. Um, which is where I'm running my campaign. So I've actually seen a lot of what's going on in Mexico. I've lived in Texas. I've lived, um, I've lived in McAllen, Texas, which is right along the border. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of what's going on. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of hysteria and there's a lot of fake news going around as to, um, as to what this drug war is really all about. And if you look at it realistically, you've, you've created a black market by, by banning the, the sale of these drugs, most of which are not harmful. Um, and if you if you were to, as we've already seen with with some states legalizing cannabis in the U.S., it's hurting the cartels. It's taking their money away. And you take that money away, you take that incentive away. 
and these problems start to go away. So if we were to end the drug war, we would actually have a lot less gang violence, a lot less, um, you know, a lot less of these, a lot fewer of these turf wars between uh, gangs who want, you know, the territory to sell their drugs. Um, and we we even have heard from the, the current president of Mexico that he wants to end this drug war. Um, I've seen a lot of these killings, you know, because everybody's worried about the cartels and the violence mm. and everything. And, you know, in uh, there, there's a town that's about an hour from where I go from from where I live. That's um, uh, it's a huge tourist destination. And there's a lot of there's a lot of drug sales because of that, because, you know, they make money on the tourists. And because of that, there are cartels fighting each other and there are dead bodies found in the streets every once in a while. And with them, one time, came, uh, just a few months ago, came a note that said, hey, tourists, don't worry, we're not here to kill you. We're just killing the people that we're at war with. And this is because there's a black market and people aren't able to just walk out there and openly sell these drugs because, of course, the government's going to come in and they're kind of another cartel that's fighting with the other cartels that want to sell the drugs. Um when you get rid of that and you realize that, hey, this violence is not geared towards the customer, right? Nobody wants to get rid of the customers. Nobody wants to scare people. And that message was left there to let people know, hey, it's safe for you to come here because we want you to travel here because we want your business. Um, you know, that's really what's going on. And if you legalize these things, a lot of this um, uh, a lot of this violence goes away. And we saw that with alcohol prohibition in the U.S., where a lot of these a lot of these gangs formed and black markets formed and very dangerous um, uh, versions of, of homemade alcohol were showing up. Uh, you know, these were these were all effects of the drug war, and you get rid of the drug war, and a lot of these problems go away. Now, another issue that's sort of um, sort of been sort of a libertarian thing is free trade, and obviously, you've recently had Donald Trump putting tariffs on um, goods from China, and you've also seen um, a lot of the Democrat candidates, as well, like Bernie Sanders, supporting that kind of action. Um, what's your view on free trade? And is, uh, this is an issue that's also come over to the UK in terms of Brexit and having a trade deal with America. What's your view on that? Right. We should absolutely have free trade because what what a lot of people think is that, you know, oh, it's the United States and it's China and they're trading. And and that's that's the relationship. The reality is, no, it's uh, it's Americans. It's American businesses. It's Chinese people, Chinese individuals, it's Chinese businesses that are trading with each other. The United States itself is just the government. Um, there are people in the United States and whether I am buying Chinese products as I sit here or whether I decide, hey, the Chinese have better products. I'm going to move to China and, and, and purchase my products directly from there and live there. Um, like, why should the government control all of that? They're trying to treat us almost like farm animals and say, hey, you're going to stay within this box and we get to decide what you're allowed to have and not have and what you're allowed to bring in from other countries. And if you look at um, uh, like a, a lot of this trade war that nobody's even talking about is on pharmaceuticals. Uh, the cost of of insulin, if you have diabetes in the U.S., is one hundred dollars for for one vial. Um, in Colombia, I had a friend who was recently down there. He bought his for $25. That's because of a free market. There are 47 companies that manufacture insulin all over the world, and only three of them are allowed, are permitted to sell in the United States. And because of that, they're able to jack the prices up. So if everyone's, you know, a lot of people are worried about the cost of health care. Um, it's, it's these border controls, it's these import export laws that are preventing us from being able to have much, uh, much less expensive medication um, that we could import from other countries. And it, it happens the same way with all these other products. I mean, if we're going to limit what we can buy from other countries, 
Um, I remember when I was when I was in high school, um, you know, I was hearing about all these technologies that they were developing in Japan. I was like, um, you know, friends telling me, yeah, I just got back from Japan and they had CD players that you could buy that were barely as thick as the CD itself. This, this was, you know, back when we had CDs. And of course, we're walking around with like these huge boxes that you have to put CDs in. And and so it's like, why didn't we have that technology in the United States? And it was because of trade controls and what we're allowed to import and regulations and all these other things. We if if we continue to set ourselves up like this, we're going to we're going to see higher prices. We're going to see um, slower advancement in innovation. We're going to see all kinds of problems that are going to arise from this. Um, and what we're seeing what we're seeing so far is already just the tip of the iceberg. Um, now, uh, another policy of yours is bringing uh, troops uh, back to the U.S. If you became president, is there any instance in which you would feel it would be justified to deploy American troops overseas? I, I can't say overseas. Um, you know, really, they should be used defensively and defensively only. And a lot of people justify, you know, well, hey, there's this is defensive because it's just it's there's there's a problem brewing over there. And eventually it's going to come over here and there are people who want to kill us. And, and, you know, that's what they say. I don't think that's true at all. Um, a lot of these people don't have the means to get here. Um, a lot of these people wouldn't even be mad at us in the first place if we weren't dropping bombs on their their friends and family and their weddings and, and their hospitals and their schools. Um, we're creating the, the United States government. I hate using the word we, but it's like uh, it's, it's just how we talk. Um, the United States government is creating so many enemies by by their presence. Um, it, we need to stop that. We need to start pulling back. And yes, there might be circumstances, and I, I can't say that I've seen any of those circumstances um, in in the past decades um, that that would warrant that. Um, but you know, I, I mean, maybe except for except for nine eleven, where you know, yeah, there were people who actually did an attack, but even then, we don't know who was officially responsible for that because first we heard it was um, uh, it was Bin Laden, and it was. Uh, it was Afghanistan and all this other stuff. And then, you know, 10 years later, we find out, oh, it was Saudi Arabia money that funded the whole thing. But there are allies, so we can't go after them. And then somehow we we get Osama bin Laden and we're still at war with Afghanistan. Like there's, you know, like we have a purpose to be there. None of this is our business. If if we see that there I mean, because, of course, there are tragedies there. There are um, uh, corrupt powers around the world doing all sorts of bad things. Um, then we should we should as individuals have the right to say, hey, we want to support and defend these people in these different places. And we should voluntarily do that. But we should not be stealing from Americans um, and force them to fight in wars and force them to pick a side that the president says is the right side when a lot of people disagree with what that right side is. Another hot button issue in America at the moment is immigration and you've got Trump says build a wall and then a lot of the um, Democrats on the other side saying decriminalize border crossings. What's your view on immigration? Does it benefit America, do you think, or or is there problems that needs controlling? Right. There's, you know, every time the government tries to come up with a solution, they usually make things worse. So uh, we have the drug war, which does create a problem. It does create violence on the border. We get rid of the drug war. A lot of that goes away. Um, they've created rules that say that make it more difficult for people to get in and out from Mexico. And supposedly that was supposed to, you know, it was supposed to stop all these problems. What it did was it created a bigger problem. It created people that wanted to come to the United States to work for higher wages. 
now once they get here, they have to stay here because they can't just go back and forth. They used to come here to work and then go back. And now as that becomes more difficult, if they're able to sneak in, they stay here. Um, and that creates a bigger problem. We have welfare problems that, you know, people say they're abusing the system. Uh, the truth is I've looked at the numbers even from the government's own uh, bureaus that say these people are contributing more money to these welfare programs than they're taking out. They're, you know, they have to get a fake ID um, and a fake tax number to be able to work. The government's withholding the money, but then at the end of the year, they're not able to claim a tax refund because they don't have the right ID or the bank account um, to be able to receive those funds. So it's it's really interesting that a lot of these arguments are very flawed. Um, and, you know, there's there are so many, uh, so many, I would say it's propaganda that, you know, people are being told why they should be afraid of Mexicans coming across the border. And really, it, it's just that it's propaganda. There aren't that many reasons. And a lot of the problems that we have are government created problems that we can fix those problems. And then we can start to to ease up on these restrictions on who can travel back and forth across the border. Uh, now, another issue uh, that you've devoted some space on your website to uh, is ending homelessness. How would you go about ending homelessness? So this this it's really um, this is really built on top of the taxation is theft idea. We think that you know taxes are are helping everybody. They're they're going to pay for these programs. We have a property tax in the United States, and and this is it's more of a state issue. But I want to bring attention to this because. You can work your entire life and you you get a big loan, which is an, another problem that takes you 30 years to pay off. And now you own this property, but you have to continue to make payments on this property to the government for the rest of your life. Um, and, you know, they give they give certain exemptions and deductions to make that a little bit easier as you get older and retire um, or if you've had a property for a really long time. But those taxes, if you're five hundred dollars behind on your taxes, they will kick you out of that house that you paid you know, maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars for over $500. They'll take it, they'll auction it. Um, they'll make very little money on it and they'll leave you with that. Um, they're, they're literally kicking people out of their homes over taxes. And then they want you to say, Oh, we, you should thank the government because, you know, we gave you police and fire to protect this house that you're not allowed to live in anymore because you didn't pay the tax. Um, we have to look at a lot of these things. We, there are so many instances of government where people have been trying to help the homeless. They've been trying to feed the homeless and the government comes along and, and they shut it down. They arrest the people giving out food or they pour bleach on the food. There have been police in, in the middle of winter when people are sleeping in their tents in Colorado that come around with knives to slash the tents to get the homeless people to move, literally leaving them to die in the cold. Um, and you've got you've got churches that are allowing people to sleep there, allowing homeless people to sleep in their churches. And they're getting fined and and threatened with arrest because they don't have the proper zoning license to run a hotel. Um, the government is working against us, uh, against, uh, you know, people who want to help. They're making it illegal. They're making it a criminal act and they're making it more difficult for people to survive. I mean, look. Tens of thousands of years ago, nobody was worried about, I have to have a job because I have to pay my bills because I have to survive. People would build their own shelters. They would live off the land, and that was a thing. And even though that's not the most luxurious lifestyle, 
If we set that as our bar, our, our baseline for survival, that is impossible these days because the government makes it illegal for you to grow your own food, for you to harvest your own food. They make it illegal for you to find a piece of land and build your own shelter. Um, and if you happen to, then they charge you a tax, which you are now forced to go and get a job. And, and then, you know, then they have to say, oh, well, since we're forcing everybody to pay these taxes and therefore forcing them all to work and have jobs, well, we have to come up with more government programs to like make jobs. We need all these jobs programs. This is all like a relatively new, unsustainable system that, that we as humans have come up with. And we really need to look at that and rethink that if we want to solve some of these problems. The state of the um, of the presidential race. Obviously, um, the libertarian field seems a bit more in flux than like some of the um, the Democrat field or the Republican. Um, and there's um, two candidates who are sort of potential ones. You got Lincoln Chafee, former governor, and and Justin Amash, congressman. Do you think that these these people should run for the libertarian nomination and make a bit of a contest, or do you think that it's better to stick with more sort of less known but more traditionally libertarian people like yourself right I, I think if they run and they're able to bring more attention to the libertarian party and our debates i think that's a great thing um i wouldn't what i'm really afraid of is that uh somebody who's not who doesn't really believe in the libertarian principle or is going to water it down is going to come along and they're going to say you know hey i've got all these republican donors i've got all this republican history and 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 i'm able to run my own campaign with all this money as a libertarian but with uh, uh misrepresenting what the libertarian philosophy is all about um and not including the other libertarians in that debate as we've seen with the democrats where the democrats are not allowing you know uh, certain other democrats to bring their views in into the debates now granted the democrats do have a lot of people and it is you know it's not easy to just say yeah let's just throw 50 people on a stage and let them you know let them all have 10 minutes of time that would take forever um so i understand that but at the same time we don't want somebody to just come in and say, you know, I've got the deepest pockets. I might not be the, the you know, the most libertarian person um, in the pick, but I've got the deepest pockets, so you should pick me, and I'll go around misre misrepresenting what libertarianism is all about. Uh, just to go back to uh, foreign policy quickly for a moment, uh, the current president has had somewhat of a, um, at times, ambivalent attitude towards the UN and NATO. What's your attitude to them? I think, you know, there are a lot of things that the UN and NATO are doing that are, you know, for one thing, the United States is paying a lot of money to the UN just to exist. Uh, there's there's a lot of foreign aid programs going through those organizations like that needs to stop. However, we should have some sort of um, forum for leaders of different nations to come together to to trade ideas, not to force each other to to follow certain policies, but to exchange ideas to say, hey, we tried this in our country and it worked really well. You should try it in yours um, to to give research, to ask for help. Um, so, you know, maybe if a country comes to the United States and says, hey, can you help us? We have this problem instead of saying, yeah, let's just give you billions of dollars. Um, maybe the leadership comes back to our country and says, hey, this is an issue in another country. We want you to voluntarily, um, you know, somehow contribute to that problem, whether it's a, a, a you know, a, a solutions based problem where we can just start saying, hey, like, here's some ideas we can do. Or maybe it's a money based problem where 
uh, people can say, yeah, that's a worthy cause. I'd like to donate to that. Um, you know, those types of conversations could be had, but we should absolutely not stick with the current model, which is we're going to tax American people. We're going to take that money and, you know, whatever, whatever the, uh, uh, whatever the government's wonderful ideas are, we should, we should stick with those and follow and support all of those. Well, we're coming up to the end of the podcast now. It's been great to have you on. Um, but before we go, um, one of your sort of policies on your website is legalizing pineapple on pizza. Now, um, what made you think of this policy and put it in as sort of part of your campaign? And are you a fan of that topping of pizza, or what, what was your favorite yeah, topping of pizza? Yeah, I've, I've actually, uh, I've actually loved pineapple pizza for uh, since I was a kid. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's become a conversation that a lot of people just seem to seem to fight over. And um, you know, I saw this, and and I saw this as an opportunity to say, like, hey. You know, we're fighting over whether or not this is good. And the reality is, if if I want to eat pineapple pizza, I'm not harming anybody else. So you can a lot of the same arguments that are used for uh, discussion on on whether or not pineapple pizza should be legal actually apply to so many other things in our society. Um, Even the drug war, you know, whether you smoke cannabis. okay, well, I might think that's disgusting, but I have if if you're not harming anybody, I have no right to say that you can't do that. and so, you know, as, as I say with the campaign, if to anybody who says that's absolutely disgusting, you can't put pineapple on pizza, I just tell them, hey, I may not agree with what you put on your pizza, but I will defend to the death your right to eat it. Um, and what's what's ironic about this whole thing is is I've had this up on the site for maybe six months and the Department of Homeland Security actually um, uh, made a made a release about how Russians are going to use trivial uh, disagreements between Americans to try to divide us, and pineapple pizza was the example that they used. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for joining us, Dan. If you, if thank anyone, you. If, if anyone's listening, they're interested in look, checking out your campaign. Um, how can they go about doing that? Sure. So, uh, if you go to Berman2020.com, it's B-E-H-R-M-A-N. I got to spell it out because there's an H in there. Um, Berman2020.com. If you go there, you can learn more about the platform. And also I have links to all of my social media sites. We're on Instagram, uh, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, so you can go there. You can read more about me. You can contact me. I'm very easy to contact if you have questions. Um, you know, uh, and yeah, there, if there's, we have a frequently asked questions that we're, that we're starting to build out with things like, how are we going to build roads without taxes? So, uh, if you have any questions like that, we're happy to answer them and, and have a discussion about that. Yeah. Well, well thanks for joining us. Um, if anyone who's listened, if you enjoyed the podcast, um, you can check us out on Facebook, Debated Podcast. Uh, we're also on Twitter and you can subscribe on, um, iTunes podcast or you can subscribe on Spotify or on YouTube as well. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.